Good morning and welcome to CIO UK Leadership Live. I'm Doug Drinkwater, the editor of CIO UK. And this morning I'm joined by Drosko Vrilyevich, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Talent Outdoor. Drosko, thanks for joining me this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to discuss about a few things. We're going to look at your potentially unconventional routes into senior technology roles. We're going to look at your most recent CTO position and that T really having two different meanings. And then more recently, of course, you've been promoted to the role of Chief Operating Officer. So I'd really like to look at what that role entails, what it requires in terms of different skill sets and relationships. And we'll also look at some of Talon's interesting projects over the last year, in particular, really, on ad tech platforms, but also your hybrid workplace policy as well. And then finally, as with other leadership live sessions, I always ask our guests a couple of slightly unconventional or off the wall questions to find out a bit more about the individual. So if time allows, we'll get to that at the end, Josco. Brilliant. But I guess, first of all, um, give us a bit of background to, to Talon and the broader out of home market, because Talon is a, an out of home media specialist. And I think when people think of out of home, they probably think of the big kind of signs they've seen in airports or perhaps in shopping malls. Um, but that market, at least to my mind, has changed quite significantly over the last you know, five to 10 years in terms of how much information you can you can find out and offer your customers as well. So this gives a bit of insight into Talon, but also that kind of shape-shifting market as well. Sure. Um, Talon is a out-of-home specialist agency. What that means is we predominantly specialize in the broadcast media, uh, which is out-of-home. Out-of-home by name means it's outdoors. It's a brilliant broadcast medium. It's one of those that are very difficult to switch off. Um, it's offline. Uh, has progressively been moving from what has been a paper base, so big posters, and moving into digital, so we are getting plugged in. And it's essentially the world's oldest advertising medium. I think back a couple of thousand years ago, you would have seen sheep 100 yards left or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, so we've persisted. There's a lot of value. Like I said, you can't really switch it off. Um, it's a great medium to be in. It's highly um, creatively driven. The better the creative, the more people look at it, the more rec um, recall they have. It's great for branding, great for awareness, great for penetration, and it complements social media really, really well. Um, where we fit into the market is we got started about 10 years ago. Uh, we specialize in the medium, so we know how to get the most out of it. We know how to deliver best for the advertisers. It is relatively complex. Um, it has a huge array of environments, of sizes, of formats, and they all do different things. So where we, we come in is we become the specialist around how to deploy that um, ad budget in the best way possible to deliver the maximum return on the investment, to drive what the advertiser wants, which is either brand awareness or getting their product sold or driving people into stores. Yeah, I do want to come on a bit later to some of how the, the media buying habits have changed uh, and how digital has really facilitated that, if you like. But um, before yeah. we get to that, uh, Josco, I mean, talk me through your journey to, to becoming where you are today? Because I believe that, you know, up until quite recently, like the last five years, you know, you'd never worked in the out-of-home uh, industry before. And I, I believe by trade that you're a marine biologist. So you've got no formal, I believe at least, so you've had no formal IT qualifications. So um, how on earth did you end up here, I guess, is the question there. Yeah, long and sorted story. So I did marine biology, loved it. 
um, but realized very quickly that most of my time was actually being spent in an ex access database, writing queries and doing stats. I figured there's got to be something better that I can do on the back of that. So uh, very quickly went into doing more data analytics and into IT. And then just, I guess, by chance, by coincidence, started getting more into the IT role, started doing bigger and better things, had a, a, a knack for doing architecture, building stuff, analyzing things, coming up with solutions, sticking them together. And then moved um, from, I started in South Africa, then moved to Australia, did a few roles there, um, moved to the UK, worked with Microsoft, did a bit of strategic consulting, which was great, gives you opportunity and visibility into lots of areas. The one thing that I haven't done is I haven't stayed in one vertical. So I've done retail, I've done e-commerce, I've done banking, I've done consulting, and more recently into out of home. Um, what I do like is private equity, Steer. It's it's um, fast-paced, it's very directive. You need to get in, get out, make an effect very quickly. And I like that sort of challenge. There has to be a challenge for it. Out of home was an interesting one for me because I got into it in for a number of reasons first of all it was an offline medium looking to go online so i needed to get digitized a lot of the the advertising called them screens uh, were actually paper-based billboards and they're being transitioned into into digital screens which allows you to plug into it and therefore you've got an internet connection becomes online there's a massive shift of taking something which was offline legacy and trying to bring it online and make it plugged into the internet ecosystem very difficult to do from a tech perspective, maybe less so difficult. But what you're trying to also do is change the culture of an organization, change the culture of an entire industry. Um, and that's where it gets really difficult. So you've got to apply, how on earth do I take people with me? How do I get people to understand what the long-term vision is? And then how do you then build the tech around it to enable people to actually get around it and, and ease what they used to do um, previously? So make it more automated, make it more efficient, make it more real-time. And it's one of those things where I, I kind of go, I usually stay two to three years in industry, maybe four. Mm -hmm. But out of home was so fascinating because you had this big cultural shift that was happening in the industry. You had a lot of technology coming into the space and it allowed um, those who wanted to be very, very creative about how do you pitch these things together? How do you build solutions and how do you become completely dynamic and creative um, in this space? So I've been in at Talent for five years. I've been in the industry for about, probably about six, six and a half, um, and looking to take this even further because there are just so many fascinating challenges that uh, are waiting to be tackled. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I mean, I'll come on to your the, the different roles you've had at Talent in a moment, but that cultural shift I think is is super interesting. How how have you been able to kind of bring people with you on that journey? Because I can almost imagine if I look at my industry of journalism and advertising it's yep. you know, similar, similar fields there is that can be a legacy view of oh, it's always been done this way and actually getting people to change their minds to, to new ways of working can be can be really hard look I, I i'm a technologist at heart tech in the grand scheme of things is so easy when you look at it you, you understand what you need to build and if you understand what it needs to be built and you can build it very effectively it's great whether people want to use it is a different story. Yes. So in, in the whole, and like you said, like you've said, my, the T in my previous role was transformation and technology. And you kind of had to combine those two because tech, tech had to lead the transformation, but it also had to be part of the transformation. And you very quickly realize that, you know, to be successful in, in shifting the change or do the transformation, you, you have to do three things. One, you have to be able to have an effective strategy that makes sense. 
have the ability to execute that strategy because having something on paper without the ability to execute is totally and utterly pointless, right? And then you have to figure out what the culture is and how to change it if you need to change it. That is the hard bit mm -hmm. because unless you take people with you, unless you give them the vision around why they need to do it and what it is in for them, it just doesn't work. And you can have the best tech in the world, it'll just sit in the shop and that what happened. So the key thing is, does the strategy make sense for people? Do they buy into it? Can they see a benefit in for them? And have they been in the journey, a part of the journey, being able to contribute rather than, you know, doing to the technology rather than technology doing it to them? Yes. And that's a very, very fine balance. That is extremely difficult to do. And that's why I think most transformation programs actually fail because people think, oh, just build a tech. It's great. I'm done. No, you've got to change the culture. You've got to take the people with you. And that, to me, is still the hardest part of it. And it's been a journey. It's been a five and, five and a half year journey for us to do that. Yeah, there's two words that almost scream out to me from, from that, Josh, which is kind of storytelling and, and kind of opportunities, I guess, in terms of giving people the opportunities, as I say, rather than the kind of build it and they will come model, but actually giving people to the opportunity to advance their careers or advance what the organisation is, is trying to do. Really. Yeah. And and look, we when we started on the journey, we had nobody in the organisation that understood tech i was employee number one if you look at it mm -hmm. and what we managed to build is we built an internal team both on data analytics and insights and engineering and this is the first organization i've ever worked in where the majority of our team has been women mm -hmm. and yeah. the, the brilliance of that is that we have such a varying perspective on how things should be done it's not just a single mindset and we have the diversity in thought and that diversity of thought just allows us to be very different in how we approach things, how we deal with people, how we talk to people, and how we do that um, storytelling back into the organization. Absolutely. And then actually later on, I do want to, when we think about diversity of thought, um, I do want to look at later some, what you've done in the hybrid workplace, but also professional development to try and uh, build that team um, at Talent. But um, just, uh, I know you've been recently promoted to Chief Operating Officer, and we'll come on to that very shortly but first of all you mentioned your previous role was chief transformation officer and i believe you say that the t really as you just said there had two meanings technology and transformation um yeah. let's talk us for a bit about that and what that meant for you on a day-to-day -day basis what you were delivering uh great question so at the very beginning I had to build the capability from scratch mm -hmm. so we literally had to go and say okay all right if this is going to be a part of the business we are very good service business we're a very good agency but the strategy, and back to the point of you've got to have an effective strategy, where does the strategy take you? A big part of that strategy is the ability for us to be a great service agency, but then have a, a, an ad tech stack that would complement both for our value and the ability to actually diversify ourselves from the competition. So it's how do I build a strategy that's effective? How does the business and the board buy into that? How do we fund it? What does it look like in three to five years time? What's the capability we need to have internally to execute it? So it's how do we, you know, address the capacity and the capability issues that may not be there. How do we bring that into the business? How do we fund it? Mm -hmm. How do we get the people to buy into that long-term strategy? And then how do we iteratively build this? Because the other part, which often goes wrong is, you know, you can go away and build something for two years to give it to people and they go, what is this? I don't know what, what it is. So it's about how do you then build that iteratively? How do you get people to, um, to come onto the journey with you? And how do you give them the opportunity to put into a feed into what this thing should be? So that, that was a tech part. The capability and the transformation piece was then, you know, it's very difficult for somebody. If you say to somebody, what do you need? And they go, well, I just need a better Excel or I need a bigger Excel. Okay, well, if you take a, a step back away from that and you don't look at it over the next three months, 
can you picture what this would look like in three years time? Can you picture what this would be in five years time? And can you picture yourself being there in five years time and what your contribution is? So we've had to do things in, in basically lots of different parallel streams. It's the tech, the people, the development, the, the assessment of the capability, the building of the capability, and that constant, constant um, checking of where's the market going. Remember I said, there's a lot of shift that's happening in out of home. So you're constantly assessing where's the market going? What's the strategy? Do we need to evaluate our strategy? Do we need to come back and constantly reassess the trajectory that we're on? Yeah. Um, and that's been a, a five, five and a half year journey for us. Mm -hmm. And obviously the most recent part of that uh, journey, Josco, was your recent promotion to becoming chief operating officer. Yeah. Um, how... Well, first of all, what's the motivation there? I guess some of that you almost build a trust by what you've achieved previously. But what was the motivation for you personally moving into that position? And I'll come on in a minute in terms of what that means for you on a day-to-day -day basis and the kind of skill sets, because I do think it's obviously it's clearly a different role. But what's the motivation? What's the driver for you? Oh, that's a great question. So having been in tech, you kind of almost on the other side of the business you're always driving upwards into the business to provide a solution. The CEO role is call it a business role that is now pulling in the tech, right? Mm -hmm. By sitting in the CEO, you kind of see, have a better visibility of what the business corporate strategy is, where we need to be in three to five years time, understanding where we need to be the capability we need to build and then driving those requirements into tech and then pulling those back into the business. So you've almost got a, a conduit or a catalyst now between the actual business and tech, which has usually got that big fence between it. Yeah. And because I did the tech role and the transformation role and now in the business role, you become the one and the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because I love data and I love analytics and understand tech and I get the business part of it, you kind of bring it back together and you can very quickly assess, is the strategy okay? Do we have the right team? Where's the market moving? What do we need to do in tech? How quickly can we pivot? Can we build the product? Is there an opportunity to create a new widget? How does it contribute to the bottom line? Mm -hmm. And I guess that was a justification for creating the CEO role to begin with. And secondly, we're just growing so quickly. We've got massive ambitions. Yeah. And because tech is such a big part of that ambition um, and that value equation, then you just need somebody that kind of puts it all together, mm -hmm. becomes the conduit, the catalyst, and then drives it forward across our, the markets that we operate in. Yeah. And what's it meant for you in terms of, I guess, there's some adaptations, isn't there? I mean, in terms of how you interact in the business, the kind of relationships you have, but also the skill sets that you have. Now, I'll, I'll give you two anecdotes and you can see how you fit into this equation here. But, yeah. so for example, one, someone that did a very similar journey recently um, uh, said, well, I almost went too far the other way. I, I was quite keen to let the person take over my CIO role. I wanted them to have the autonomy to, to own that. So I, I kind of almost left tech completely alone, almost to my own detriment. Because that's, that's why I built up my skill set and my um, what I was passionate about. But then on the other side of that, having just interviewed a different role entirely, Andy Callow is the interim uh, CEO at um, Northamptonshire Hospitals. He said, actually, by going into that role, I found new areas of intellectual stimulation that I never thought possible. So where will you stay on, on this recent move for yourself? Is Are you seeing those new opportunities to grow? Are you having to, yeah, how does it all work for you? Where where do you see it in terms of where you've been, but where you're going? So uh, I used to sit when I was in tech, I used to go and sit and evaluate every single pixel, every single journey flow, and used to take a huge amount of time. 
we've promoted our engineering director into a CTO role and he's brilliant. He's much better at the role that I could ever be. And it's a conscious effort. I need to let him do his job. He's better at it than me. Mm -hmm. And I simply don't have the time to do that. So it's the ability to step back, look at it from a higher perspective, still understand what happens and then delegate and allow people to go and pick up those roles. So whether that be the transformation role, the technology role or everything that I did before. There's, for me, it's probably a hybrid. There's a lot of stuff that I still need to learn in the COO role. So for me, it's a great learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. The bigger learning opportunity is to let is learning to let go some of the old stuff that I, was my comfort zone before that I used to be good at, and challenging myself to do the you know the really gnarly stuff on the business side of things, which is potentially not in my comfort zone. You know, mm-hmm. the salesy element of it, the the management, the leadership, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not and and then try and make sure I don't drift back into that comfort zone of tech. Yeah. yeah. The ones and zeros. Yeah, hundred percent. And in terms of the that getting out of your comfort zone, give us some examples of where you're kind of having to develop. And I guess you had to go in there with some more almost um transparency that you're obviously still learning the role. You're you're not long in the role. So yep. where where do you kind of see those areas and what are you trying to do to to improve your knowledge, improve your learning? Yeah, again, great question. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, on the leadership. So how do you build an effective team of people and resources around you that you know becomes your trusted cohort that one you can bounce ideas off and that you learn to trust their opinions and then offer as many opinions as possible. So build that capability in the leadership team to do that. And then the second thing is putting yourself into areas that I've never done before. So getting into pitches, doing sales. Mm-hmm. Um, completely different environments, getting dropped into the deep end at the, at the moment's notice and go, well, what do you think about programmatic in this market? And how does that relate to audiences? Or where do you think this is going? It's like, okay, great. How do we do this now? So it's it's a constantly it like, get dropped into the deep zone, learn, what do you get back from reflect? How would I do it differently? Right, look for the next one. So it's always building that capability at, at the top end, but also then learning to allow um, or relinquish some of those activities I used to do on tech and transformation and let, let other people do that and help them develop to be really good at their job. You know, maybe they might even be better than me. Maybe they don't need, don't need me to be there. Mm-hmm. But still having to have the, that that pipe, the conduit, the visibility in what they're doing to make sure I've always got an understanding of where the products are going, what the roadmap is, and then how do we apply that from a business perspective? How do we leverage that to best effect? Yeah, absolutely. Would you say it's changing your relationships kind of top down and, and bottom up within the organization? And I guess, yeah, having been a, the chief transformation officer, now the chief operating officer, already in some people's minds, there could be a view of what those two roles and how they're different. But is it changing the way you, you operate within your organization? God, I hope I hope not. Um, I, I, I was on the board beforehand. I'm still on the board. So that hasn't changed. I, I literally sit almost in a different place every day. I never sit right. in the office that's been allocated to me. So I sit with the teams, I'll sit with the tech team or the product team or the business team or the HR team. Yeah. Um, the reason I do this, what I want to learn too, I want to understand what's happening on the ground. I want to see what people are doing, what they're struggling with, what they enjoy doing, because that then feeds back into how we manage the business and how we build the tech products. Yeah. I've never run HR before, now I'm running HR. Um, great insight. Great learning opportunity for me gives me a new appreciation for everything that happens in the business, mm-hmm. um, and then understand how do we build the metrics and the data and everything else to allow us to be data led, have the insights to be able to manage better and make decisions better. 
Um, so it's it's kind of pulling the stuff that we used to do in tech into the business, data, data-led approach and insights, and then pulling some of the softer skills and understanding how the business works back into the product team so we build better products. Yeah, 100%. Um, Jessica, we're not going to turn our minds back to, to last year. And obviously this year you were part of the CIO 100 uh, 2022. And um, I'll come in a, in a second to some of the, the key investments you've made into some of the ad tech platforms. I mentioned the highway work uh, policy, which I think would be interesting to discuss a little later. But yeah, first of all, yeah. one thing that really stood out for me in, in your submission, and that's the, the beauty of my world, is I have access to all these wonderful submissions and, and the wonderful uh, details. But there's a statement that resonated with me, and it was, um, we have to take a practical approach to technology. It must enable and or solve business challenges. Just which I think a lot of people would would agree with if that resonates. But uh, yeah. how has that belief uh, shaped? how you've uh, worked in your current role, but also throughout your career. How do you think you kind of translate that statement into here's how we're going to deliver this for our customers or our colleagues? I, I always ask the question, why and why not? Mm -hmm. like, why are we doing this? Why are we not doing it? So if somebody says we need to build this, you go, well, why? What is it delivering? And they go, well, this. And so, but why? So constantly drilling down to actually get, what is the rationale? What is the justification for investing time and money to go and do this? Mm -hmm um so that that is that is really important for us um sorry you mind just going back again yeah sure yeah um do we take, take i can take it from the top if you want to, i'll take it yeah take if you might just ask the question again and just go yeah that's fine yeah. yeah no worries um i'll tell you what i'll do i'll do a countdown from five so they've got a stamp in the editing but so we've got five four three two one so josco we've obviously just come off the CIO 100 2022, of which you're a member. And one of the beauties of my role here as editor of CIO UK is I have access to all these wonderful submissions. Uh, and there's one piece of information or a statement from you actually in your submission that really stood out for me. And I'll, I'm going to read you it now and, and really get your understanding on this. And it was, we have taken a practical approach to technology. It must enable and or solve present business challenges just talk me through that statement and how it essentially you know almost uh infuses the way that you operate within the organization yeah um everything has to have a purpose because technology costs money investing in technology costs money so we need to find a rationale for why should we invest into something so always look for the practical what is it going to solve what is it going to deliver how is it going to make somebody lives better is it going to make a planner's life easier? Is it going to make our customer's life better because they get better return on their investment? So it's always using that filter of why are we doing it? Why are we not doing that? And it's back. If we can't understand the practical rationale for doing it, we shouldn't do it. We should look for something else. Um, I firmly believe there's a massive opportunity for tech in the business. It's just about finding the best right um, causes for the right time in the business to be able to drive us forward deliver our colleagues and, and customers a better user experience and deliver as much value as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. I think a lot of people would, uh, would resonate and, or agree with that statement, um, but it's good to hear essentially, I guess, how you challenge the business and what they require and how you collaborate um, as well. Um, but again, also looking back uh, to the previous year, I think one thing that stood out for me from the CI100 submission was the fact that you've invested obviously very heavily in the kind of ad, uh, ad tech platforms. I think you've got three, isn't it? Uh, Plato, Ado and, and Atlas that you've yes. invested in, in, in heavily over the last year. Just um, 
I think I mentioned right at the start of this that we're obviously seeing advertising is becoming more programmatic, more automated, more digital, digitally driven. What have those free investments done for you as an organization? But perhaps most importantly, what, what's it done for your customers? Brilliant question. Um, we started our journey very simply. So we built our first platform, Plato, which is basically a planning system. We had lots of disparate Excel spreadsheets and maps and all sorts of stuff. And said, why don't we just bring that into a single pane of glass so people have the information at their fingertips so they can plan effectively, use a data-led approach, and then do things very quickly. So essentially, we built the pipes and the infrastructure in Plato. Mm-hmm. Then we quickly realized that data is imperative um, for the future of advertising because you're not trying to buy a panel or a screen. What you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to reach a customer or an audience. So the ability to understand how those audiences move, what their behaviors are, or it's obviously GDPR compliant, would allow us then to actually pick the screens um, on the back of, of what the customer wants. So they're not trying to buy a screen, they're trying to reach an audience. So how do you then map the audiences back to their screens to deliver the maximum amount of value or the optimization? So we stitch those two things together. So essentially what we're doing now is we're not buying screens. We're allowing our customers and advertisers to interact with audiences and we provide the best screens that deliver that purpose. And then when programmatic obviously is being shifted from uh, the online space into out of, out of home because now we've plugged in with the digital screens, we looked at what's in the market and we said, but this is wrong. We're not a one-to-one medium. We're a broadcast medium. So you're not going to one person. You're always going to be addressing thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people what we really want to do is we want to get the biggest slice of that audience for those screens so we said let's look at programmatic differently let's reimagine this as a specialist because we understand our market really well we understand it better than anyone else in the market so how can we take our ip that we have in our heads about how to deliver maximum value from the way we plan and buy put that into code and then combine the infrastructure in plato with the with the behavioral audiences in ada and then automate that entire transaction so that we simplify it for a digital buyer where they can go, I want to reach an audience at a point of time and I want this outcome. And then we obfuscate all the complexity behind the text and have, never have to worry about it. And then we deliver the outcome. So that's been the journey. We've been really, really um, uh, intense about how we invent this, how we make it our own and how we take a different approach to the market. And it's been absolutely really successful. And to your earlier question, how does that relate to what we have today? It gives us a capability that we can actually go to market and say, we have something that very few, if anyone has. So therefore, if you actually allow us to do that through the tech that we have, the IP that we have in our people, we can give you the outcomes, the value-based equation that you're looking for. We can reach the audiences that you're after. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think... um... One thing I, I did see was that, that obviously by investing in this area, we obviously through the COVID pandemic, where a lot of out of home specialists may have struggled. You know, as an organisation, that's had a, a good impact on on the kind of bottom line as well. Yeah, where most people actually doubled down and cut cost and took a cost out of the um, out of the business in COVID, we actually doubled down and actually invested even more. So we launched Atlas literally in Bang in the middle of COVID. And we started producing data-led insights back into the market. We, we weren't making any money of it, but we were saying, look, people are no longer tra- traveling on the tube. They haven't disappeared, but this is where they've gone to, right? So they've shifted into the neighborhoods. This is their patterns. This is where uh, the movement patterns are happening through London. And then we published a whole bunch of dashboards for advertisers to say, look, they're starting to move back, but they're on the roadside. They're not. A- so if you're looking to target and get your brand awareness out, we can tell you where to go, which markets to go, and which environments would probably be best suited to doing that 
And we did that both for the UK and the US, which was which was great for us because it allowed us to look at things very differently to what we did previously. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess on the on the counter side, of that as you invest in in data and analytics, um, and I know you built out your your team as well. I think I believe you had three contractors initially, yeah. and now it's a team of sixty across three continents. I mean, obviously, with that growth, I'm sure comes a lot of opportunity, but a lot of challenges too. What what did you kind of see on the back of that as you grow your capability? What have you had to kind of um, what have you had to battle with? What have you had to fix moving forward? Well, first of all, we worked through many, many times in San Diego in the States yeah. all the way to um, to Australia. So managing across multiple time zones is a challenge as always. Um, good engineering, hardcore engineering resources are difficult to find, retain, motivate. So we're always looking to keep them fresh. So what we do with our teams is we circle them through all the product sets. So somebody that's interested in data would work in data for six months, then they go into hardcore engineering, then they do API gateways. So we don't, although we take people from product to product, we don't necessarily lose them from the team. So retention has been a very big one. And then internally, how do we build the internal capability without driving costs up? And then how do we take the people who've never actually interacted with, with tech, the planners, the people who've, who are on the day-to-day -day service side of the business, how do we get them engaged? How do we show them there's an opportunity to move into technology? How do we help them develop? And what are the training plans we need to help them um, have in place to make sure they can come across? So we've had people in investment teams, people who buy frames, come into the BI teams that we've taught them how to do BI reporting, data analytics. So we, we're taking the good people that are already in the business, teaching them to come into a new part of the business, which is going to grow you know, radically over the next three to five years and actually creating a groundswell of supply from the existing business as opposed to trying to find people in their market. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I guess that latter point just gave it, uh, that really would surely help build the trust and respect of what your you know, what the technology department and, and data is doing, I guess, if they have more insight, more visibility into, in terms of how data is helping them and the organization, right? I mean, that's always a, a challenge we, you mentioned before, tech and the business, even, even the way I phrase that gives you some idea of, of the, that opposition that can, can happen sometimes. But if you're bringing these people into your department to see how you help them, I mean, surely that's only a benefit. It, it's a benefit both ways. So what we get by somebody coming in from investment and planning is they know the workflow back to back. So yeah. having somebody embedded in a team is like you, you've got the, the subject matter expert in the team that can tell you how this thing works. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other part of it is because we're actually then building a better product, when we actually send those features back into the teams, they go, well, they actually make sense because this is how we use it. There's no disconnect between what the developer thinks it should be and what the planner thinks they've said, mm -hmm. right? And it's an opportunity, right? I don't have to be a planner. I don't have to be an investment person. I don't have to work in HR or office management. I can actually have another opportunity in something else that I've never previously considered. So by pairing with somebody in a tech team or wherever they may be, they might be able to learn a new skill set if they like it. We'd like to create opportunities for those people to do something different. You know the people, you know their capabilities, so it's a known entity. De risks de the resourcing for us. Yes, 100%. Um... I want to move on uh, before we get to those kind of quick fire questions at the end, uh, slightly off the ball. Um, yeah. I've been working. You mentioned, I think you've got 58% uh, of the team are, are women. Um, 
But you've done some quite interesting things on, on hybrid work. I think you've got, for example, it was a home working allowance, which is, I think was quite early in COVID, yep. but glides time as well. You're doing some interesting things in terms of shared parental leave. Just I've kind of put that into one big bucket there of, of hybrid workplace. But um, how is that benefiting you in terms of attraction? But I guess most importantly, you can argue retention. So, I mean, we st- when I started, we literally had everyone had a, a fixed phone on their desk. Mm-hmm. They had a really old laptop and they had a very small screen. And over time, we've been changing. And, and this is like simple things like give somebody a mobile phone. You can't believe the resistance about people getting mobile phones. <laughs> you think it would be necessary. <laughs> so we changed things. We moved to Office 365. Everyone does this. But we did this probably be 12 months before the pandemic hit. So we did, we did this behind the scenes. Um, people didn't notice it necessarily. They got new laptops. They got double screens. They got a clean new working environment. Um, and essentially, they didn't have to be in the office. They could spend time with a client. They could be at the agency. And then COVID hit, and we went, right, take your laptop and go home. That's all you need to do. If you want a chair, we'll, ch- we'll ship a chair to you. Not a problem. Tell us anything else that you want. So we literally went from everyone in the office to everyone at home in the space of 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Had we not done that, I think we would have been in a, in a world of pain. absolute world of fame but that flexibility then after covid has come okay well i don't have to be in the office five days a week Mm -hmm. we have a team in india we have a team in in in, we had a team in uh, uruguay and we had a team in the states we all have the place you don't necessarily have to be in the same place to do this and collaborate you've got great technology user technology to collaborate so the key has been what's the right mix Mm -hmm. um, for the right roles do we have the technology in place to allow people to do the collaboration and is it is it leading to better um, user satisfaction, client retention, uh, people retention? And it is because people have flexibility. You know, they've got a laptop, they've got the, they've got the technology, they feel supported, and they don't have to be in the UK to work. They don't have to be in the office 24 seven, five mm-hmm. days a week. Um, and we've got really good feedback from our from our organisation as a whole. It's working for us, and we'll constantly shift it. So we'll see what next year looks like. We might shift that again. But the capability and the and the baseline foundations to allow us to do this going forward are there. We just need to build the net and tweak it. Yeah, but, but you'd say it's helping in terms of, in particular, when we look at look at the lack of women in in technology. It seems to be that that's working for you folk in terms absolutely. of absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, brilliant. Okay, Josco, we're we're out of time, but the last uh, couple of questions, which I ask all uh, guests of the Leadership Live here in UK. Yeah. So question one, uh, and these are quick fire, so keep them short and sweet. Dream job growing up? Fisherman. Fisherman. Okay, nice. But you've never had that before. No. Okay. <laughs> I've now got to ask a bit more context. <laughs> well, I grew up on the sea. I love the sea. I spent all of my time fishing. So I thought, well, if I like fishing, it'd be a good job to be a fisherman. Yeah. Not the okay. easiest job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then a slightly deeper question, perhaps, but what would you say is your biggest achievement? And this can be personal or, or professional. Ah, great question. I uh, I have an 18-year-old that I've raised in a, I think is a pretty sensible way. She's got a good head on her shoulders. Um, and she is now in, at university studying medicine. So if anything, if I look at everything I've done, that is my one and best, proudest achievement to date. Fantastic. Um, Josco, fantastic to speak to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on, on Leadership Live. And it's been great to find out more about your role at, at Talent and the work you're doing. So thank you once again. Thank you, Doug. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, Josco, that's the end of uh, CIU UK Leadership Live. So we really appreciate your time in joining me today. 
Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. And thanks to you viewers for tuning in. We'll see you very shortly for the next one. But until then, thanks and goodbye.